One, two, one, two, testies, testies. <laughs> Yo, it's the Capital City Podcast. I'm your host, Capital J, alongside my main man, DL Glass. And this week, we're talking about standards. Who sets the standards? What are the standards? Are they good? Are they bad? Let's talk about this. Now, first you wonder, okay, standards. It's kind of like an established um, way that things are going to be done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that is a standard is, once a standard is established, nothing less is acceptable. Right. So I guess we, we're going to describe standards before we get into the podcast. Okay. Um, and, you know, we always start at the beginning. And today we're talking about standards in hip-hop and R&B and DJing, MCing, all of the above. Now, back in the day, we all know that hip-hop started in New York. So, New York set the standards. True? Absolutely. For hip-hop. Right, for hip-hop. Now, by the time we were hearing hip-hop on wax, New Yorkers had been engaging in hip-hop for years. Right. You know what I'm saying? So a standard was already kind of set before we even heard it. You know, they had standards for um, how to perform Mm -hmm. and how to present yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we talked about watching Wild Style. And I think a great example of probably the standard for that time was probably Busy B. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to hold somebody up and say, what was the standard in 1982, 83 for an MC? You know, well, Busy B was eating. Right. He was the man, you know, not necessarily on wax, but, you know, out here in the streets and in the world of hip hop. You know, he was held up as, as you know, pretty much the standard of what, what it is to be an MC. Um, his diction was good. His enunciation was proper. Mm-hmm. His verses were poetic. Right. So, you know, he was an example of the standard back in the day. Uh, you know, even Run DMC, uh, Run DMC became a standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, before them, Curtis Blow was a standard. What you saw um, in the Curtis Blow, Grandmaster Flash era, things that were standard, like, you know, I think it was pretty standard to put a huh in your, in your rap back in the day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And, and I think a lot of that came from, from listening to James Brown and watching how he controlled the crowd. Right. Rappers like, yo, man, this dude is dope. And they, they incorporated, huh. You know, even the Temptations use, huh. Church. You know what I'm saying? Church also. Right, church. You know, that yeah. there's a standard for how you perform and present. And there was a standard in the music um, in the early days. Since everybody was rapping over music that had already been created. Mm-hmm. The standard for production was um, uh, instruments, 
instrumentation, you know, but stripped down. Mm-hmm. So you're taking a break from a song that was created using live instruments and all that, and they break down to the drums or the, the dope part. And, you know, you continue that. So I know I'm probably going down a, a, a rabbit hole by asking you this question. <laughs> but so I the first producer that I remember that changed um I guess my perception or my 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 palette of music to be honest was Dr. Dre. And the reason why I say he changed is because he he created a standard for um and 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 not to say that a sound wasn't West Coast before Dr. Dre or but um yeah, because the West Coast definitely had a sound. You had an L.A. Dream Team. Right. And they sounded absolutely different than anything coming out of New York. You know, you had a right. lot of Too Short was around for years before that. But Dr. Dre, it was like when when I listened to um, maybe it was maybe the first Dr. Dre that I remember was The Chronic. Like it sounded different. Dr. Dre, you know, we're, we're definitely going to get to Dr. Dre because he set an entirely new standard Yeah, for production. But I want you to answer the question about the producer. That, that's what my question was. I just wanted well, to. Well, I think, uh, all right, in the early days, the production mimicked what had been going on in the grassroots era of hip-hop. Like, um, I want to know who was your Like, who, who was the one that you remember that changed Larry, Larry Smith. Larry Smith, All How? day. Okay, okay. You know what I'm saying? Um, he was the first person to change the standard from what it was to a new thing. The standard's always changing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And in the early days, hip-hop was, you know, like imagine DJs in the club playing disco records and funk records. Mm-hmm. And they got breakdowns. You know, Cool Herc is extending the breakdown. Okay. You know, that's where dudes come in and spit their they lyrics. Mm-hmm. Dancers come in and dance, you know what I'm saying? Right. To the hottest part of the song. And he's extending that. Mm-hmm. But there's no sampling machine. So he's doing what, it live. So what do they do is they emulate that in the studio with a live band. Take mm-hmm. um, Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight. Mm-hmm. Instead of taking good times and cutting it back to back. He's got a live band to play good times while the Sugar Hill Gang rap. Mm. And Larry Smith was the first person in my memory, but as a matter of fact, I can't, you know, the, the well, first of all, to bring electronic music into hip-hop. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Before that, hip-hop was based on live instrumentation. You know, the Sugar Hill Gang, all those guys, they had a house band at Sugar Hill Records mm-hmm. that would play music. And then people would come in and rap. So the um, Sugar Hill Gang, even the Treacherous Three, which weren't on Sugar Hill, um, Sequence, they all rapped on live instrumentation that mimicked the the effect of 
bringing a record back to back, a funk record. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's just a funk right. groove, and mm-hmm. we're going to rap to it. But uh, Curtis Blow made Tough. That was the first rap record that had an electronic drum machine on it. Hmm. I don't want a lot. I want just enough. So why has it got to be so damn tough? The first time you heard electronic drums on a hip-hop song. Hmm. Okay. But even that had live instrumentation mixed with the electronic drums. Now, Larry Smith made a song. He was part of a group called um, um, Orange Crush. Hmm. And that consisted of Larry, Larry Smith, and uh, David DMX, hmm. who was a DJ and a bass guitar player. DMX was back then. Well, his name was Davy DMX. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know what I'm saying? He yeah. Was, DMX was the name of a drum machine too. The Oberheim DMX drum machine. Now vintage. It's a vintage. Yeah, it's a vintage right. drum machine. Right. So what? What Larry Smith did that set a new standard in hip hop mm-hmm. was all right. He produced a song called "Action" when they were Orange Crush, and I want action. David DMX is playing the well later shortened to David D. Okay, um, he's playing the bass guitar. But the bass and the the the, the drums from that song. Now, if you don't know this, I want you to notice that on the first Run DMC album, two years ago, a friend of mine asked me to say some MC rhymes. The song is called Sucker MCs, and in parentheses, it says Crush Groove One. Okay. Orange Crush produced the song called Action. Larry Smith was one of the main producers behind that. And the drum track, he used the drum track to create Sucker MCs. So he stripped all the music off. Okay. They're trying to make this song as cheaply as possible. In hip-hop before, you know, um, to go to the studio and pay musicians to come in and play music was expensive because you got to pay these guys. They're not going to come in and work for free. Right. So Larry Smith, you know, stripped everything down and just used the drums from Action hmm. and Run DMC rapped on it. Okay. And he added the hand clap. So that's a crush groove. That's crush groove one. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Okay. And it's the first time in my life that I've ever heard a guy going to the studio, mm-hmm. two guys, and just rap on a beat from a drum machine with no live instrumentation on it at all. Oh, wow. And it changed everything. Okay. So a standard had been set previously that recording hip hop music, you know, is live instrumentation, um, and people rapped a certain way. You know, they were still rapping in the old school fashion. It was it was about partying and dancing and keeping you live. But now a new standard was set with sucker MCs. Hmm. 
You see what I'm saying? Right. That was the first time for me that, to see the standard change. Rap used to sound like this, and now it sounds like this. And after that song came out, there was a wave of people who just rapped on drum beats. And you know what's, what's so amazing about that is that the fact that if you um, listen to this in just roughly, what year was this? This was uh, 82, 83. So it had to have been a thing, air quotes, at least two, three years before your ears got it. Maybe not, though. The only reason I say that is because, like, when we was watching um, Wild Style, uh-huh. and we talked about how How long polished. this had been going on and how polished they were. Right. I think the rap style may have been around, but, the, I mean, who had access to, you know, drum machines and all of this? Like, Larry Smith was a seasoned veteran producer by this time, and the that's idea of putting, that, that's, just that's stripping a track down to the drums. Right. I don't think had been yeah had, I don't think that had been explored yet, but after he did it, right. I'm 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 just speaking to the fact he might have done it before, you know. Yeah, like I if you it. heard it in '82, he listen. He might have did it in '80. Right, right, right. You know, it just took off in '82. Like that's that's crazy. Like and Ron before. talks about it. Me talks about it in the song. So Larry mm-hmm. put me inside his Cadillac. The mm. chauffeur drove off and we never came back. If you look at the rock box video, you see that Cadillac in the video. Right. Like he was known for driving his Cadillac. And they and the Cadillac is in the video. The the man playing the guitar, he's standing on top of the Cadillac. Hmm. In the rock box video. It's Eddie Martinez playing the guitar. You know what I'm saying? Rick Rubin um expanded on that formula. Very mm-hmm. well, you know what I'm saying. Rick Rubin, he, he was killer on them drums. You know he, the Beastie Boys used it on um, New Style, mm-hmm. like just drum machine and raps. You know what I'm saying? Um, right. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people just went straight in on the drum machine, and that was the standard. The standard for a hip hop song was, "What do you need to make a hip hop song?" Well, back in the day. You need a guitar player, a drum player, a keyboard player. Mm-hmm. You know, you need people to come to the studio and clap. Hand claps were were present on all the early joints, you know. Mm-hmm. You could hear the crowd clapping. So they were always, you know that somewhere in the studio, that these are the standards. This was the original standard to produce a hip-hop record. You know, you got people to clap their hands, and you got a live band. And then <laughs> I never thought about this. <laughs> like what? Yeah, and and also it wasn't. They didn't just clap, clap their hands. hands. You everybody. could hear them, You could hear them in the background going, "Oh, oh, right. oh, ah, yeah, oh, oh." Like this is the standard for the production. You bring all these elements in together, but what you didn't hear was cutting and scratching. Hmm. That wasn't. That wasn't included on rap songs until a little bit later. Didn't become standard for a while. You know what I'm saying? Until after Larry. But no, Larry Smith didn't even have too much, like, you know, I wouldn't credit him with bringing cutting and scratching into the game, even though they had Jam Master J and he did do some cutting and scratching. But 
I can't credit Larry Smith. No, I'm just saying because Larry introduced what he introduced, and then a, a direct product of that is cutting and scratching. Because before you couldn't have cutting and scratching with a live band. Right, right. Because the cutting and scratching, the live band is emulating. Right. The DJ. A cutting and scratch. Right. Right. Because you can't right. just bring a DJ in. But <laughs> but Grandmaster Flash did. Wow. He had a, a record called The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash. Mm-hmm. And that record is just like 10 minutes of Grandmaster Flash going in on the turntables. The Adventures of Flash. And he cut up Good Times and um, Apache by the Incredible Bongo Band. He's just going in and he turned it into a song. They made a song out of Grandmaster Flash cutting up records. And mm. it was incredible. You know what I'm saying? Right. And But even as dope as that song was, that didn't become a standard in – it didn't become a standard to produce a record, but for a while every album had at least one song of the DJ doing his work. Hmm. You know, we'll, we'll get to that too. But the standard starts to change in night around 1982, 83. You start to hear electronic drums in there and a little bit less music, uh, bass, and, you know, full-on instrumentation. With, with the exception of Curtis Blow, he, he was producing the Fat Boys. Curtis Blow was all all in on the instrumentation, but he's part of that same camp, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Curtis Blow brought Run in. Russell Simmons is boy, you know, and right. Russell's got Larry Smith producing. So they're all loosely affiliated with each other. But Larry Smith got a different sound, and he stripped that thing down to strictly the drums. And to this day, I, I don't think he gets his proper respect for setting the the first standard to deviate from hip-hop's original direction. You know, fair enough? Yes. You know, yes. Larry Smith is 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 probably one of my one of my favorites, all time favorites. And in addition, wasn't Larry Smith black or white? Oh, he's he's a black guy. Mm-hmm. And um, in addition to setting the standard for the drums, he also brought electronic music to a place that it was accepted inside of hip hop. Where it's everything before that, like you know, hip hop's coming out of the disco era. It's got all that live instrumentation, but listen to "Friends" by Houdini. Friends. He produced that entire song, and you hear the. It's so much stuff going on in that song, and it all fits. He was a master of putting, just layering so much sound and so much electronic sound. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff on top of stuff, and it works, and it sounded beautiful, man, and and it still kept the hip hop feel. You know what I'm saying? Without live drums, it was you know, Larry Smith was was something to deal with. He was a force to be reckoned with. Talking about the electric guitars, I I, I always gave that credit to Prince. Now, well, you know, Prince is a pioneer. Prince is his, you know, he's an awesome Prince. Did you know that on Purple Rain, he played every instrument on that album? Yeah. He he produced and, the entire album. He sang, played the right. drums. Everything. And, you know, I would say that he's the only person to do it, but Stevie Wonder had been doing that for years. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, you go back and listen to Superstition. <laughs> That's Stevie Wonder playing the damn drums. 
<laughs> a blind man. Right. Rock the drums, play the keys, he play everything. Everything. Yeah, he yeah. produced the whole song by himself. And Prince, you know, wasn't the first person to do that. You know, he could look back at Stevie Wonder, and I'm pretty sure there's somebody I might be forgetting about that might have done it before Stevie. Mm. But, but you know, that, that also is something you couldn't do until the technology allowed you to do it. Right. Absolutely. The tracking and all that. Yeah. But Larry Smith set a new standard in hip-hop, and that standard lasted for a while. And, you know, I think he's he's a pioneer of electronic music. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But the way people rap changed a little bit. Like Run DMC were way more direct in their lyrics. You right. know, was, their, their sound was much more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And they set a new standard for how an MC sounded. You know what I'm saying? But still, the DJ wasn't as big a part. And he became big as as, as Jam Master J came in and started, um, wow, wow, you know, just just cutting up those breaks like that. So now the DJ's involved. So Run DMC helped change the standard too, right along with Larry Smith. Yeah. They changed hip-hop. And and people don't understand how huge that was at the time because their music was nothing like what came out previously, right? You know, so the and it, it was funny by 1988, we're looking at them like these dudes washed up old school guys, but at the time when they came out, they made Curtis Blow and all those and Grandmaster Flash look like washed up old school guys, right? You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So it's always gonna be your turn one day. You know, everybody mm-hmm. like. There's been a lot of talk lately about, you know, like, um, I think it was uh, 21 Savage said that Nas wasn't as relevant now because he's looking like, you know, he's a washed up old school guy. He's not, of course, but but in as far as relevancy to to today's listener, they think of him as as an old school guy. Thing is, every, it's, it's going to be everybody's Legend. turn to be the old school guy one day. You know, 21 Savage. You heard that new the, track? Uh, who? Nas and 21. Oh, no, I haven't even heard it yet. It's dope. He explains what he means. Right, right. Yeah, it's dope. It's yeah. dope. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, and I, I'm I understand what he was saying. You know what I'm saying? And I think yeah. Nas did, too. So he yeah. Wouldn't, he wouldn't even it's just his spend the time with that, you know? Right, but they, the, the track they did, I think, is a, a a good balance. Right, right. Yeah. And the standards, I would say that the, the aggressive style of Run DMC lasted for a long time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I don't think it, you know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of that era, you know, Fat Boys. Um, you know, you Not as much, but some. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a. They weren't aggressive so yeah. much, but as they loud. used the style of Run DMC. You know, hey, I'm bump, 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 yeah. bump, bump. Heavy D kind of continued that when he first came out. Yeah. You know, it felt like like an offshoot of what Run DMC has started. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, um, you know, I think Rakim got away from that. Hmm. But he he didn't set an entirely, I wouldn't say he set a standard because everybody didn't just immediately start doing what Rakim did when he came out. Mm-hmm. You know, you still had rappers that were still kind of from the run DMC side of things and then you had a few rock him in imitators you know people right. calmed their delivery down a little bit because before before rock in well i guess i got to give him credit for bringing a new standard into into the into the mcing 
Yeah. You know, it's more it's more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Breathing. You know, Run DMC is yelling <laughs> and Rakim is talking to you. Right. And we didn't get a lot of that before Rakim. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yes. New standard introduced. Mm-hmm. And it's the early days of the sample. Now, so since you're talking about those two, I think that's a good comparison. Who do you think were was more influential, Run DMC or Rakim? Run DMC all day. Okay. You know? Yeah. But, I mean, but I think, well, you know, I don't know. I think Run DMC introduced a, a generation of an era of MCs mm-hmm. and Rakim influenced an era of MCs. You know what I'm saying? But the problem with Rock M is Run DMC were way more easy to duplicate than mm. Rock M. Because you can't you can't pull a Rock M off the way you can duplicate Run DMC. Right. You know what I'm saying? A right. lot of people have it in them to get up and present like Run DMC, but when you try to do Rock M, it don't work. Mm-hmm. Like I for example, Will when Will Smith did it on Summertime, Will Smith used to rap one way. Right. Then when he came out with Summertime, here it is. Did he write Summertime? I don't know, but it was obviously inspired. By Rakim. By Rakim. Yes, yes. And as much as people like that song in general, I thought it was an obvious attempt to capture what Rakim had, the fire Rakim had. And but, and but, to me it didn't it didn't work because it didn't sound natural out of Will Smith and you know the Fresh Prince because of what I had already heard. Right, and he was industry, so it it might it might have been bigger than him as far mm-hmm. as him doing that track that way. I don't know. I mean, this was '92 and Rakim had been doing this thing since '86. It's six years after Rakim even right. popped on the scene, and and Rakim. Will and Jazzy Def and the Fresh Prince, their their time overlapped totally. They were out there at the same time. But Will and um, they they had more commercial. They were more commercial than Rakim ever was. Yeah, they had some. They had a lot more. Oh, I'm a double poured. Oh, you good? You know, don't <laughs> <laughs> you know, even worry about it. But um, yeah, yeah, they you know, they, that, they were more. Right. They were more commercial. But at the yeah. same time, I would never ever take away. From Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, they're, they're hip they hop. These dudes yeah. were hip hop all freaking day, yeah, to the core. You know what I'm saying? I, I, they stuck with trends though. They 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 got with trends. Yeah, but I for me it didn't it didn't work as well. You know when they when they start when they got away from their original formula, even though they had you know. We had a conversation about people's most successful song is usually a deviation from the thing that made you love them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you think about Push It, Salt and Pepper, they didn't make another song like Push It. Right. The rest of their music don't sound like that. Yeah. The rest of Jazzy Jeff's music don't sound like Summertime, Hmm. Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Hmm. You know, their biggest songs are not like, even um, Just a Friend by Biz Markey. Mm-hmm. The rest of his catalog don't sound like Just a Friend. Which I was surprised. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, it's, you know, that's the, the the catch-22 when you make a successful song and it's out of your lane, kind of. Right. 
Because it's like, you know, now you got all these people just discovering you and they love this and they go back and listen to your catalog. They're not going to get another one of those songs. Right. Right. You know? Um, but musically, like, let's talk about DJing. Before we get out of the mid-80s, let's talk about the standard for DJing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cool Herc and hip-hop DJs in general, you know, they go in, they play the music, but when it's time to to do a set, with an MC and the dancers come out, you know it's time to cut up the breaks. Mm-hmm. But in the era of disco, we were talking about a guy who would go into the club and disco records, the 12 inch single was just really becoming popular. And the 12 inch single was just, uh, it was a way to, the 12 inch single was invented for the club. So you got a song that's a hit. Mm-hmm. And a forty-five record is only gonna hold so much music, right? And they don't sound very loud, you know. Like this is something I learned about vinyl records. The That's more small. music you put on it, the lower the volume and the less sound you get off the record. Let me ask you a question: mm-hmm. Vinyl records. For someone to come up with putting music on vinyl you think they were sober <laughs> yeah i'm sure they were because uh, you know any any cutting edge technology can't be discovered under the, under you know what i'm saying you're not gonna you're not gonna invent Benjamin the next Franklin thing was high no way electricity uh, he flew a kite in the storm he was high <laughs> alexander graham bell the telephone like Eddie Griffin said, I want to talk to a motherfucker who ain't even here. Yeah, but you, the might get the, you might get the idea why you're under the influence, but right. nobody's going to do the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I'm talking about, the creative part of it, you know. Not you know to promote saying? anything. I was just like, how the <laughs> hell did you come up with putting music on vinyl? Hey, well, well, vinyl records, the the 12-inch single started to become a standard in the clubs. And then you telling me that depending on how much music you put on it, the lower the volume. Like, right. So what? so what happens is you go to the store and you buy an album. Right. The album was for personal listening. Hmm. And, oh. But the 12-inch single was for the DJ. The 12-inch single, the 12-inch single had more bass. The 12-inch single was louder. Wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me, let me, let me do this real quick. So you're telling me, basically, hip-hop changed vinyl. Well, no, the 12-inch single was a product of the disco era. Okay, but you said that it was initially used for personal use. Uh, the, the, the album, the album, which looks just like a 12-inch single, we mm. got five songs on one side, five songs on the other. Uh-huh. So you using up. You know, you you make the groove smaller to fit more music in there. And when you do that, the volume decreases and the sound quality decreases to a certain extent. So a 12-inch single is the best quality you're going to get. And when you take it into the club, like um, you buy the album, the song's five minutes long. Mm -hmm. And then they put out a 12-inch single back in the 70s 
And the 12-minute single got a 10-minute version of the song. Damn. And in the disco era, you could play, if a song was a hit, mm-hmm. you just play the whole 10 minutes. Right. And they'll stop singing for a while and just let the, the groove will go for three minutes straight. Mm-hmm. And people just dance to the groove. Right. You see what I'm saying? And it wasn't always a hip-hop DJ playing these 12-inch singles, but the standard for DJing was kind of, you know, for a while was to let the music, let the, let the song play until it's time to get our hip-hop on. Hmm. You know, and then the DJs extending the breaks. But who knows how much influence that DJs extending the break had in making 12-inch singles where you didn't have to extend the break. Hmm. You know, you bring in a 12-inch single, it, the break is in it. Because now when you get to the hot part, it just rolls out for three minutes straight. No, you know, and you don't have to keep cutting it up back right. to back and bringing it back because it's included in the song already. The breakdown is there. The, you know, it's, and it lasts forever. Hmm. But as you get into the 80s, um, you know, people expect different things from a DJ. You know, cutting and scratching live at the party. You know, of course, it's always, you know, it's been around from day one. Mm-hmm. But it, people start to expect that more and more, and it starts to become more and more of a standard. You start having the first DJ contest. Have you ever um, messed up your album, your record? Oh, yeah. Several. Um, the more you cut and scratch a record, uh, there's a thing called burn. Hmm. And the spot that you keep right on cutting and scratching, mm-hmm. the volume will get lower and lower and it'll get more muffled over time. Like if you go back and listen to my Eric B and Rock M records, um, Eric B is president. The part where it goes, I came in the door. I said it before. The, everything sounds good on that record. When you get the, that part, so, and then you hear my record go, you know, you can tell that I've been cutting that record up for years and years and years at that part, mm. you know, and you can hear it in the record. And, you know, DJs, we call it burn. You burn, you know, the needle's always in that spot going back and forth. Right. And you, the more the more you hit it, you know, it will deteriorate over time. So when you were scratching, you had to hit the same groove. Yeah, the, you put the needle in the same spot to cut up, you know, that spot on the record doesn't change. Hmm. So every time you cut it, you're in the same spot. And, you know, there's a lot. There's a I could I could do a whole show about that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because I always wonder, like, you know, shit, I never DJed, but I see, well, I used to see the DJ have, like, a piece of tape or a mark or something. Yeah, that's so you can bring that tape back to the same spot. Like, you you, you put two records on the turntables, and you mark them at the beginning of the song. Mm-hmm. Like, you find the beginning of the song, where's the needle at in the beginning of the song? You stop the record. You put two pieces of tape, you stop both records in the same spot. But unless you bought those records on the same day from the same batch, yeah, the stickers may not be in the same place. Right. So you need tape to mark uh, where the start of the record is. And from that point on, both records will turn together. 
where that that tape would be in the same spot. So but how you get in the same groove? Like it, because at well, some you, point you'll play the whole song. Or, how, how do you know where that groove is? Yeah. You go like you look at a record, like let's say a twelve inch record. Um, you know the end of the song is closer to the center. Mm. The beginning of the song is out on the edge. Okay. If the song, if the part you want is in the middle of the song, you go in between the beginning of the record, which is on the edge, and the end of the record, which is close to the center. Drop the needle and use your headphones. If you uh, know you know the song well enough, you drop the needle. You say, okay, that's past the part I want to hear. You bring it back a little bit. Okay, that's close. And then you just wind it until you find the part you want. And most DJs will take their favorite part and make that the 12 o'clock where they stick the tape. Okay. So you just keep around spinning. Every time you hit 12 o'clock, you listen again. Is right. that it? You go around one more time. Is that it? One more time. Is that it? Oh, there it is. Boom. And then you hit the other record. Boom. You bring it back to the same 12 o'clock. Boom. 12 o'clock on the left. Boom. 12 o'clock on the right. Boom. And if you, if your hands are steady enough and the record doesn't skip, when you cross the fader, it's going to be right there at the spot you want it to be. But if you're ham-handed and heavy-handed and ham-fisted, when you get there, it's either going to be a groove in front or a groove behind, and then you got to find it again. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? With that, People don't have to deal with that now with the Serato. But as a standard for DJing, people started to expect a DJ to be able to do that. If you're a DJ, then a standard had been set. By the time you start getting into the DJ contest, a standard had been set for DJing that any DJ should be able to do this. So I remember, you know, as a DJ walking into clubs or going to DJ at a college and a gym, people look at you and they will not respect you enough to dance to what you're playing until you show that you that you that you are that you can achieve the standard. And the standard yeah. is being able to bring two records, you know, cut two records back to back. And once they see you can do it, they kind of relax a little bit. They know the party's going to be all right. You're not a clown out here, you know? So the Serato does what exactly? The Serato just... took away the the you having to do that work. Now I can do that with a button. Oh, wow. You know, so I used to have to have two records. If I wanted... Um, if I wanted Run DMC to go two years ago, or two years ago, or two, 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 two years ago, I had to do that with my hands, bringing mm -hmm. each record back to that spot. Now I can sit back and just press a button. Two years ago, two <laughs> years ago, or two, 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 two years ago, and not have to do any of that precise work. And it's very hard to keep needles on records at a live party you know to, to do this live it really took a lot of precision and yeah. skill you know I what bet. I'm saying? and and people didn't appreciate it well i guess they did appreciate it but i don't think they understood how much work went into being mm. able to do that live on the spot right you see what i'm saying you right. even had to fix your turntables up you you put stuff under the mat so the record will slide easier Hmm. You know, you cut up old record covers. Back in the day, they, they have what's called slip mats now, which are pretty standard in the industry. You know, they use them to so you don't mess up the bottom of your record while you're spinning it back. 
Okay. Because that's sitting there against the plate. But when you buy turntables, they come with a rubber mat. Mm-hmm. And rubber, you know, you're not going to pull a record back over rubber. It's too heavy. I mean, you know, it sticks. So you put something slick in between the rubber and the record so it can slide back easily. And every record came with a piece of vinyl on the inside. I mean, a little uh, a little plastic bag, basically, holding mm-hmm. the record inside of the record cover. I would, you know, me right. and most DJs just take that, cut it into a circle and put a hole in it and put that under the record. And mm. now you can pull the record back and it, it'll slide easily. But I made the mistake of not doing that and then I'm cutting cutting records and then you look at the bottom side of it and it's all messed up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I didn't, I didn't know to right. protect the bottom side. But that that was the standard. You know, DJing standards have changed. Um, the cutting and scratching has changed. Like, you listen to Grandmaster Flash and Wild Style, he was showing you what standard DJ work was for the time. If you're a good DJ, you know, this is what you should be able to perform what Grandmaster Flash did. You heard a lot of that back in the day. Right. As things progress... You know, guys like Jazzy Jeff and Cash Money come in there and you start hearing different scratches. Like Jazzy Jeff brought the Transformer scratch. It's like, what? That's still a standard to this day, the hmm. Transformer scratch. Grandmaster Flash um, has taken credit for inventing it, but I would say that Jazzy Jeff absolutely popularized it. But you can hit a button and do it. Oh, now you can hit a button and do it, but to transform you still need – they they don't have anything that that I know of that can accurately duplicate a great transformer. You still need a certain level of skill to be able to transform. I need to hear that. I don't know what that is. That's when you hear um. Right, let's say you take a sound like ah. Oh, okay. To transform you ah 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 It sounds like a transformer. Transforming. So that's basically why they call it the Transformer, because, you know, um, when Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince did it, he's like, Transform! Gotcha. He wanted to sound like a Transformer, you know, because Transformers were popular back then. And you can't hit a button to do that. Mm, if they do have a button, you know, like, they have things on the mixer to make it a little easier, mm-hmm. because you used to have to do it with the fader, and the fader right. is kind of long, but now they have... Um, switches that are much shorter, have a little bit shorter <laughs> throw to it to get that, da, 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 you know. Right. And and it's evolved to the point where dudes are using three fingers and a thumb on it, you know. Mm-hmm. And you get, I think they call it crabbing. But you hear, it's much faster. But, yeah, the Transformer scratch came into effect. But in the club... You know, the standard was you have to be able to go back-to-back. You know what I'm saying? And it's just bringing bringing the record back to a point and playing that part, bringing the other record back, playing the same thing over and over again. This is standard hip-hop DJing. If you can't do that, you cannot work in hip-hop in the 80s because every MC needed a DJ who could do that. It's part of your stage show, always included, 
cutting up the breaks, and then I'm gonna come out here and show you. You know, you always threw it back. Even if you had a whole song that didn't have any scratching there, you had a DJ, and there would be a moment in your performance where it's just an old break, and your DJ's cutting it up back to back. Run DMC did a song called um, Big Beat. What was it Beat? Golly, I, live at the Fun House. You know what I'm saying? It was uh, live at the Fun House, 85. And they cut up um, Big Beat. Ah. Got the big beat. And the drums start off in the beginning. Ooh, 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 And it's just Jam Master J going back and forth. And they back to back on that. Run DMC going in on the mic. Hmm. Incredibly dope. But that was a pure example of the standard. For DJing mm-hmm. and MCing in the early to mid 80s. And later on, you start hearing people like DJ Premier, which he still uses, but um, cutting up in the, in the hook of the song. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, because you know <clears throat> Premier sound. Yeah, you know the Premier sound when you hear it. Right. Um, and I would say that, uh, you know, Jam Master Jay's always, he's one of the pioneers of that too, just bringing the the DJ into the song on the record. Okay. You know, Run DMC had a, had a DJ, a dope DJ, and he did more than just cut up the breaks. He was... Yeah, he was selling them things, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, if, if you had to um, put a stamp on the greatest... Um, like, what would you call... It? Because we, we talked about it a lot, right? And talking about the standard. Like... Is there, uh, do you know of a, a well-rounded act, person, rapper, who checks all the boxes? Today? Or just ever? <clears throat> because you're still alive today. Well, all those boxes, they include so many. So many elements, you know what I'm saying? We just talked about the standard for MCing in the early days, the standard for DJing. We haven't even gotten to the standard of production yet. Well, no, we talked about the standard of production yeah. too. But in this time period, as as more cutting and scratches coming in the break, like think about it, the DJ used to have to keep the music going. When you bring a sampler into the picture or you bring whatever instrumentation or the drum machine, the DJ doesn't have to keep the music going. So we have to find a new job for the DJ so he can still be a part of hip hop on wax and that's cutting up stuff in the breaks. Well, on, on some levels ha- hasn't the the and producer taken the the place of the, the DJ. DJ. Yes. I know and and, and and that's why I was going to say the standard for production back in the day songs were produced as if a DJ was actually cutting it up. Right. So when the right. music stopped for a second, then you and the beat start again. Mm-hmm. It's just really a sample beat playing, but that scratch is in there to emulate the original sound of the DJ keeping right. the music going. Right. <clears throat> so, and that and that lasted for a while, and that was the standard for a while. You heard it, uh, you know, De La Soul did it well, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, I think Prince Paul. Prince Paul is really good at making, at producing music that sounded like it was coming from from the you know 
from the essence of hip hop. You know, it's had the cutting and scratching in it. And who were <clears throat> were there artists back then who who did everything? And then mm. I'm speaking about hip hop. I think the original everything artist is Curtis Blow. <clears throat> he he produced too. He produced. He sang. He rapped. Uh, he totally doesn't get his due for being as versatile as he was. You know, he played the piano. I mean, you know, Curtis Blow was was something to deal with. You know, yeah. but the thing is, you know, music changed, and he wasn't able to to create a sound. He wasn't able to change with the music, you know. Damn, the more we talk about, all I I keep thinking about one person. Who's that? That has, in, in especially when you talk about change with the sound and you know wear all these hats because it it would be yeah Curtis Blow the Curtis Blow is the original multi hat wearer. You know dope. he had his own records. He's producing the Fat Boys. He's right. playing the the piano on these songs. Right. He's saying five right rule the world. <laughs> right. I mean, um, you know, because he, he wrote a lot baby. for um, the Fat Boys. Yeah, I didn't I know mean, that. Yeah, this dude, this dude is like Curtis Blow is a, is a, a genius back there, back in the day. You know what I'm saying? And, and I don't think and he's people still gave around. Credit. They think all he was was just a rapper. He's still around. He though. wasn't just a rapper, man. He he was he wore all the hats, and I don't I can't think of anybody. Who wore that many hats and did it all so well? You know, like today you got guys who will produce and rap and sing and nah, all this. And, you know, you know. Who? Um, There's only one person. Who? Yay. Yeah, Kanye. Kanye wears a lot of hats. Man. But you know, even even Kanye, I don't know if Kanye's gonna sit down and play that piano like Curtis Blow though. Man, that dude check all the boxes. He does check all the boxes though, <laughs> but he can't sing though. You know, with with the help of Auto Tune that he oh, helped yeah, revolutionize. Yeah, yeah. No, he no, 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 I'm not giving Kanye West any credit for Auto Tune. He stayed with T Pain to T-Pain learn. T Pain is the guy. He he taught Kanye. That's how we got 808s and heartbreaks. Man, he didn't just teach him. He sat there and he was with him. But but that's how T Pain learned. No, T Pain did not learn anything for Kanye. Kanye no, learned no, that no, from no. T Pain. Right, right, right. Yeah, but yeah. I'm saying that's how T Pain learned it himself. He went and stayed with this man who taught him how no, to T-Pain, do it. T Pain was doing that already. No, nah, like, but you, he was rapping at first. Yeah, and then but, he started doing. But when this is where T Pain's genius comes from, and I didn't respect this dude. T Pain. T Pain is another one that's that's incredible. Listen, man. T Pain is he, he wears all hats. He performed for an hour and a half, nothing but hits. T Pain is incredible. Yes. Yes, but but you know, as a matter of fact, that was a new standard that was set. You know, but we're gonna speed this thing yeah. up a little bit. Let's, yeah, let's just a through, little let's bit. Let's jump through the timeline. We're spending too much time on the eighties. Man, and I, you know, I know that any purist is like, "What do you mean too much time yeah. on the eighties? No such thing." Yeah. But you got um. We've been through the standards of production, the standards of DJing, the standards of MCing. They're all changing over time. Right. I think the next big shift, Wu-Tang set an entirely new standard. RZA. The RZA. What? And, like, um, his production, it was uh, grimy and dirty. Havoc, too, though. 
they, 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 he was it. he was part of the new wave too. Yeah, those sounds. Yeah, they they like you they talk about the new... hand claps and the the door closing and the ironing board closing. Yeah, they it brought just... yeah they brought they brought something new to the table and and it changed things from yes. how they used to be. Like you go back pre ninety two ninety three. Right, you heard a lot of hip hop that still reminded you of things that Run DMC and Rakim did. Right. Wu Tang came through and set an entirely new standard hey, what? for what hip hop, you know, for what hip hop is. Protect your neck. Mm-hmm. And let's not even talk about well, we got we got to talk about <laughs> the standard that was set on the West Coast. Um, yeah. Too Short and and yeah. um, uh, the L A Dream Team, all those cats. The standard on the West Coast, I believe Dream their I their legacy them. in hip hop is bringing that Hollywood sound mm-hmm. and that major like. You know, there's a different kind of money on the West Coast. Different and a different. They had an entirely different standard of production. Absolutely. When you heard it, it sounded crisper, cleaner. Yes. And everything got cleared on the West Coast. Yeah, everything was clear. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yes. And, like, you go listen to the Jungle Brothers' first album. I'm talking about the sound, the the clearance of the the samples. I mean, that everything mm -hmm. got cleared. Oh, they, yeah, they, they, but you know, they were where, where everything was happening. Right. Now, even Motown and all these guys, everybody moved to L.A. Everybody, yes. You know, and, yeah. and there, there was money there and there was technology there and, mm-hmm. and you heard everything clean up. You mm-hmm. know, the West Coast had a, had a clean sound and that's where Dr. Dre comes in. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Dre didn't just find that thing by accident. He spent years developing that that thing. He the whole time that Run DMC were out, Dr. Dre was doing his thing with Egyptian Lover, yes, and all these cats. And he's back there, but that's the influence of those just drum machine songs. Mm-hmm. That's Dr. Dre. He mm-hmm. saw what what they were doing on the East Coast with a drum machine and a rapper, and. He sat down and did drum machine. You ever heard Egyptian Lover? Man. Egypt. Egypt. That's electronic music. Right. You know, and right. they're not going to do this if Larry Smith mm-hmm. hadn't done it already. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Herbie Lovebug set a great standard, too. He took mm-hmm. sample beats and played music over the sample beats. And that, you know, that was a standard for a while. Marley Marl set a standard in hip hop. Mm-hmm. With production, um, his use of samples and James Brown drums was was a little bit different than what every like his his drum sampling was different than everybody else's and the stuff that he sampled. Like back in the day, you would take a drum track, and make a song, but you know, Marley Marl was so influential that the drum tracks he used on his joints were used on so many other songs. You remember Nobody Beats the Biz by Biz Markey? Absolutely. How many times you heard that beat? Right. You might hear it tonight if you had to. Right, club. that's Marley Marl. Yeah. But he made that song for Biz. Mm. And just his drum tracks were sampled over and over again. Right. How many times you heard that? That's yeah. Marley Marl. Right. You see what I'm saying? It's Marley Marl getting paid for it. Um, right. That's Marley Marl. But actually, do you know who that is really, though? Who? Playing those drums? That's Prince. 
See what I mean? This is something for the radio. <laughs> but well, in the Under the Cherry Moon, there's a scene where the girl, I, I, you know, I'm assuming that since it's in Prince's movie, there's a girl on the drums. This white girl hops up on the drums at a wedding reception, mm. and just and just kicks that beat from Biz Markie. This is something for the radio, but it's before they drop it. So this is where Marley Mar gets the sample, mm. and she plays. <laughs> Why Prince keep a white girl on the drums? It don't matter what they look like. Right. He knows where the talent is. And I don't know if that's her beat or it could have been Prince playing that, and then he just got her to do it for the movie. But that came from Under the Cherry Moon. And, but Marley Marl had the best ear for drum samples in the game, and the stuff that he put out in the mid to late 80s has been a standard in our music. Picking boogers. Boom, boom. I thought we was leaving the 80s. Right? I know we're going to leave the 80s, but I'm just saying, <laughs> you're talking about a new standard. Yeah. When, when Soul to Soul mm-hmm. sampled Marley Mars picking Booger's drums for Keep On Moving for the next three years, that drum track was on every R&B song hmm. for three years straight. Hmm. Set an entirely new standard. They, Soul to Soul, drew the blueprint for Mary J. Blige and every other hip-hop slash R&B artist. Every R&B artist that incorporated hip-hop into their music can can thank Soul to Soul for everything they've done since. Without Soul to Soul, you get no Lauryn Hill, you get no Mary J. You know, you might not even get Rihanna. You get no Sybil. You see what mm. I'm saying? They drew the blueprint for that. Okay. You know, the Red Alert, this a record that came out in England. Yeah. You know, Red Alert, come over here and drop it, and the rest is history. And then after that, think about it. For a period of time, every song had the pick and booger beat. Pick and boogers. Boom, 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 Because it was that hot, or that's because that's what they pushed. No, nah, it worked so well for Keep On Moving. When you heard Keep On Moving, you knew that you were hearing the future. This is something I never heard before, but it works. It is hip hop, and well, it was that era of hip hop mixed with R and B, because right. you know you go back further. Mantronics yeah. was the guy, right, who set a standard for mixing the hip hop sound with R and B with mm-hmm. Joy Sims. You know, you you are my all in all. But that's the electronic side of it. From the sampling perspective, mm-hmm. Soul to Soul totally set an entirely new standard for music. And Mary J does not make real love using top billing beat by audio too. Right. She don't do that if Soul to Soul didn't make Keep on moving first. You don't hear real love without keep on moving. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. So they set a standard. Like it's been so many times in music in our hip hop where the, the standard has changed. And you know, we we did the electronic music thing and then we got away from it. When the samples came in, people like Mantronics kind of got pushed to the side in favor of sample-based music that like Marley Marl and all them were making it sounded grittier and tougher. But can't forget about the genius of Mantronic. You know, he was he was incredible. Right. And without Mantronic, I would say we got we get no Manny Fresh. 
When you, every time I listen to Manny Fresh, a new standard at the time, but really it was just redoing everything that had already been done in the 80s with Mantronics. His whole production style absolutely reminded me of Mantronics. That's dope. It's, you know, it's all recycled. It's all recycled. Yeah. But, you know, these guys That's set standards, and and when you set a standard, you know you set a standard when everybody's imitating you, and you hear your sound all over the place. Right. You know? Right. I would dare say that I set a standard for radio mixing. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe people don't know this, but when I when I came on the radio, people were not mixing acapellas live with everything on the spot like that. Yeah. You heard it on mixtapes here and there. Yeah. But, you know, live mix shows were back to back. Hmm. You know, but my thing is, I'm going to do something different. Right. I brought acapellas. You know, I'm in the DJ contest and I too mix acapellas on when everybody else is doing back to back. That's one of the things that, you know, I'll take that to my grave. Mm-hmm. I help pioneer people mixing acapellas live on the radio. Right. It right. was tough. It was hard to do. People didn't want to take that chance. Right. But, I did because just my style. And I'm not saying I'm the only person that did it, but I know I was one of the pioneers. Right. And I'm certain of it. Because I've, I've been around, I've heard what radio sounded like, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so things changed through the years. We're up in the 90s. Wu-Tang's got that sample-based sound. And electronic. the electronic sound in hip-hop is not really bumping. You had it in the South. Mm-hmm. UGK and all of those cats, they use uh, um, some electronic, 8-Ball uh, MJG. Right. There's a lot of, key, we call it keyboard sounds, you mm-hmm. know, the drum machine with the keyboards. Right. And and they did their thing, but when they're doing this and the music is leaning towards sample-based sound, when you listen to 8-Ball and MJG's early music, that's coming out while Wu-Tang is hot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, outside of their perspective areas, that music's not respected when the biggest thing happening is sample based. Right, right. But that music stayed true to where they were, which stayed is the Bible true to where Bell. they were, and it's classic yeah. to this day. Right, and, right. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, Cash came a long way, man. Um, let me see. Mid, we're in the mid '90s. Um, standards. Mm-hmm. People still uh, the enunciation is still there. Yeah. The diction is still there. No right. matter where you are, the South, you know, it's not, the, you still had Southern accents. But the music, ghetto boys sound like the ghetto boys, but Outcast. the enunciation and the grammar is still, right. still kind of um, par for the course. You know, you're not, people aren't going to deviate too far from the King's English. Right. You know, and the presentation is still crisp. Mm-hmm. Um, every word is, is properly enunciated. Right. Um, let me see. You get into the two thousands uh, after Tupac died. I think um, the standards started to change a little bit after Tupac. You know, oh oh, Puffy, Puffy set a new standard for New York hip hop. Yeah, you know he cleaned it up a lot. He took it like the RZA sound was dirty. Mm-hmm. Puffy because you was could the hear next, it in Biggie's set a first new album. standard, right? right. As things yeah. as time went on, mm-hmm. it got cleaner and started sounding like, like the West Coast cleanliness, right? And that's what he hip, modeled it out with the New York edge, right? You yeah. know, 
to to appeal to more people. Right. So now we yeah. got a new standard. The standard is the music's cleaner, mm-hmm. you know, not clean lyrics, but cleaner in general. It just sounds polished. Well, Puffy used to clear, clean up the lyrics some too, because it was a couple times he Biggie's. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's that's another thing. Just in music in general, you know, standards were set. Uh, two live crew, you know, as dirty as they were, uh, NWA set a standard, a new standard for what street rap could be. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. I, I, hmm. You still got some? Yeah, I still got some. Oh shit. Yeah, that that's you. Yeah, that we sipping vodka, ladies and gentlemen. He over there babysitting. Hey man, I, I'm I've but, had plenty. So you you're not gonna um, just skip past. Um, the great yay like that. Oh, we haven't gotten you know, there yet. I, I let I let you go. We we have we haven't gotten to Kanye yet. Okay, but it, you know yeah. the thing about well, Kanye, in, I don't gotta, I don't think Kanye set a new standard because his sound was so much his sound. I, who duplicated? That's what, it? I know. Like, nobody <laughs> nobody duplicated Kanye's sound. And when I hear Kanye's sound, it was it was almost a throwback to the sample-based era because at the time when he was making his music, sample-based music wasn't the biggest thing in in the industry at the time, and he was able to get away with it. You got to remember, like, once a lot of the sample-based era was able to happen because the rest of the industry hadn't caught up with how to get paid off of these dudes. You got albums that came out back then that you can't even get on iTunes because none of that music was cleared properly. Right, right. I remember on Big uh, Biz Markie, I remember he got, he had to remove his, uh, golly, which album was that? I think it was his th- second or third album. Mm-hmm. It had some samples on there that didn't get cleared. And I they think didn't take it serious. It, all samples cleared. Right. They didn't take it serious. So they, Right, they, so they're they just were... throwing like, Put you it got out so there. many samples and cuts and scratches in a song that to release that song today would cost you four hundred thousand dollars. Right. To put out something like some early, some of them early De La Soul songs, mm-hmm. just so many random samples in there coming from left, right, all over the place. Right. It would cost you so much money to put that song out today that it's impossible to go right. back and recreate those songs. Like Premier, he doesn't cut up. Um, he doesn't cut up old music anymore. He cuts yeah, up he the can. words. That dudes are saying in the song that he's producing, now, right? Because he can't afford <laughs> to go back and find a, a song from 1968 and cut right. it up. Because that artist will figure out that that's in there. Mm-hmm. He's gonna take you for all you got. You remember we talked to Brandon D, right? You remember he said Billy Joel wanted mm-hmm. for that, right? Yes, but that's in the late, that's in the early 2000s. Hmm. He would have gotten away with that in 1986. Absolutely. Because nobody would Billy Joe wouldn't even known that it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Right. So the sample based era is coming to a close simply because it's not financially viable. Mm hmm. Yeah. And now dudes are trying to get around it and trying to recreate the music again. And I think that production took a hit. The standard for production started to go down. Right. When the samples came out of it, because we didn't have people who had mastered the craft mm-hmm. of producing a, uh, an entire hip hop song the way that Larry Smith and Mantronics were able to do mm-hmm. back in the day. Right. So now you hear, but you 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 see light at the end of the tunnel because Manny Fresh hmm. is doing his work and he's one of the best at it mm-hmm. at producing hip hop with no samples. Right. And really making it respectable. Right. 
You know, like and a lot of the other stuff was them. yeah, a lot of other stuff was discarded. You couldn't even, you know, I don't think people gave it any respect when you heard a, a an entire hip hop song with no samples. Mm-hmm. You know, and Manny Fresh came along and it's like, oh, finally somebody is giving me something that's just not doesn't feel like complete garbage. Yeah, at this time he um, but you know that that's why Manny Fresh is not. I hate to take Twenty One Savage, but he's not relevant now. Like nobody's checking for Manny Fresh. Yeah, I mean that's true. You know? Nobody's checking for him today. But I mean he had his era. Yeah, and I think yeah. he, you know, he's definitely part of. He's he's legendary, man. Manny Fresh is absolutely legendary. Absolutely. Before we even heard of him, he had been keeping New Orleans rocking for years. Right. So that's the reason that by the time Cash Money was discovered. Their music was so much better than the music that other people were trying to make without samples because they got a dude that's been doing this for years. Right. Already. He already mm-hmm. everybody else is you're hearing that growing pain trying to catch live up. on the record. Right. Manny Fresh, he did he had his growing pains already in the streets of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So we're not hearing practice anymore. Right. Right. This is polished the same way that those hip hoppers were in Wild Style. By the time we saw the movie Wild Style, you could tell they've been doing it for years. Right. Manny Fresh had been doing this for years by the time Cash Money came to to national attention. Hmm. And yeah, and, so, and he helped set a new standard. Unfortunately, Master P set a standard too. And these these he are people that came along. These are people that came <laughs> along after. And I always say after Tupac died because Tupac left a void. <laughs> Outside of New York, so because Tupac died, that's why we that's why we got Master P. There's no Master P, DMX, <laughs> no no Trick Daddy, no DMX. I DMX does not get to be as popular. I don't think Master P gets to be as popular, and I don't think Trick Daddy get to be as popular if Tupac is still alive. Damn, DMX got his look. Master P took the sound, and Trick Daddy took the the streets. Mm. They all took some of what Tupac already the fans that the fan base that was missing Tupac yeah found their new Damn. heroes in Master P, DMX, and Trick Daddy. Damn, and, and 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 none of them were making noise when Tupac was alive. Nah, and they were out. Did hey yeah they were out, but you know and 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 I it's think, a cycle, man. It, it's not because of Tupac dying. It's just a hey, cycle. man. He he had he had a <laughs> such a large following, man. Like when yeah. when somebody that big goes away, man, people got to step up and fill that void, and right. no one person could fill that void. Right. So, you know, it took a collective group of people to come up. Like I said, you know, if you look at look at DMX, look at Tupac, just just you know visually or Ja Rule. Ja Rule, here's another one, you know, just yeah. he took the visual cues. I'm not saying they sound like Tupac. Right. You know, but visually they feel something. Then you take Master P, a lot of the, the music they created, the 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 era of Tupac when he was talking about Hennessy and the, the you know, that period of time when he was Man, death row, death rowish. Nah, you know what I'm saying? You ain't about to do that. Hey, I'm telling you, man. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, you yeah. talking about Master P albums himself or the the stuff they were releasing? On I'm that saying day? I'm saying Master P himself. Yeah, nah. Master P himself benefited 
from the absence of well, Tupac. Okay, okay, but I'm not going to compare Tupac him been to alive, Tupac. Not, I mean, that, <laughs> nobody can compare to Tupac. None of those people I named can compare are Tupac-ish. Well, well, I mean, you know, none of those people on wax are what Tupac was. No, no, no. But I, they give I, the fans who don't have Tupac a little bit of you think what Pop Tup- fans went to masterpiece. Some of them did. They weren't real pop Some of them did. <laughs> Some of them went to Master P. You got to think, nah. Master, Master P did not, um, like, Master P is a New Orleans cat, but Master P cut his teeth in L.A. Yes. But you think, nah, Tupac fans went to Master P. Some, Master P got some Tupac fans, especially down here in the South. Like, like you got to remember when Tupac passed away, there was a, a definite difference in a Tupac fan and a Biggie fan. And, you know, a Tupac Hell fan yeah. was more than likely, you know, that these are Southern people. They, you know, the Southerners like like Tupac more. What happens when, you know, who's, like, it's the rebellious nature of the music that Master P embodied that Tupac left a void out there. Who's going to fill that rebellious void? I think Master P stepped in. Like, Tupac didn't take on the persona of full-time drug dealer in his rhymes or anything, but it's something in the feel of Master P's early music that, for me, reminded me of a void that was left after Tupac died that was, to me, a continuation of his death row era. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I think you're reaching on that. <laughs> I just hey. think that it was, yeah, you know, the 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 true fans they had to turn somewhere. They had to turn and, somewhere, and yeah. They, and like I said, you, Master yeah. P is not replacing Tupac. No, no, no. I I know what it's, you're saying, it's, but it's yeah. just that I think if Tupac is alive, I don't think Master P gets to be as popular as he is. No, I'm not going to dispute that either. You know? But and like because, I said, Trick Daddy, too. And the reason I say, you know, these are, and Trick Daddy doesn't remind me of Tupac, and Master P doesn't remind me of Tupac, and DMX doesn't sound like Tupac at all. No. But they all benefit that from Tupac not being there. Like that time, Usher took some time off, and then Trey Songs ate. The only time you see Trey Songz can eat is when Usher off and Chris Brown is off. Right, but when you listen, <laughs> like Trey Songz does not really sound like Usher. He doesn't look like Usher. He yeah. doesn't, you know. But he it's benefits from lane. Usher not being there. Right. You right. see what I'm right. saying? Right. And I think that's the same thing for for P, DMX, and there were a host of other people too. But those three, yeah, you know, I, I would throw Ja Rule in there too. You know, and even even there, um, like Ja Rule and DMX, their appeal to the ladies, the thug that appeals to the ladies. You know, like absolutely. Like if Tupac is there, do do the girls still nah. love DMX and and Ja Rule the same? By no or means. Or do they just stick with Tupac because they still got pop? You know, I mean, right. like, and none of them are are replacements. I'm not. You know, nah. I don't want anybody to say I'm saying it any wasn't of these room people, for them. You know, there was just no room for these guys. Not with Tupac. But the new standard that Master P set. Was a standard of 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 anything goes in as far as the production. Where like did production had gotten to a level where there were things that were unacceptable. Master P came out and and said, "Hey man, if I can do it, you can do it." And what? this is the new standard. People just coming out of the woodwork, just putting stuff out. As it as it is, without trying to polish it, <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> it wasn't polished. You know what I mean? At all, at all. Yeah, right, you know, and right. Wu Tang had gotten away with that, but there it was a higher quality 
across yeah. the board. Yeah. And Master P came through and was just like, yo, this is a new a new standard. And a lot of people argue that the standard was lower. Yes. Where where did the Biggie fans go? <laughs> Jay Z. Jay Z is not Jay Z if Biggie's alive. Yeah. And Jay Z doesn't, you know, he's not what Biggie was by any means. But Jay Z, I don't see him being Jay Z if Biggie is alive. No, hell I no. Just don't it, see it. It couldn't have been room for him. You know, because yeah. Biggie will hold that spot. Yes, yes, yes. So you know, when 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 a huge artist is gone, somebody like other people benefit. Those fans, that's they they disperse amongst other people, and I think Jay Z was huge. Better, you know, he benefited greatly. From Biggie's demise. Now, yeah. I don't think he wanted Biggie to pass away by any means. Right. But somebody got to be the king of New York now. Yes. Yeah. Damn. Master P, though. I mean, I, I'm just saying, man. Like, like when you when I say Biggie, Biggie owned New York, Tupac owned the rest of the country. And after Tupac died, Jay-Z took New York, and Master P took the rest of the country. Did he not? I mean, I can't dispute that. <laughs> yeah, like, and do you think that the rest of the country would have been there for his taking? Had Tupac still been alive and had a grip hold on everything? You think he's selling and 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 becoming the big phenomenon that he is? Because a lot of those fans were looking for they were looking for something to feel that Tupac would. I mean, I, that's just inter- interesting to me. Yeah, it's know just you know, we just theorizing. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I wish we had the kind of show where people could call in. I would love to hear from somebody right. about how they feel about that. But it's yeah. just my personal theory. But you, you can know? send an email to info at overheartv.com if you want to comment on this, and we, I promise we will discuss your comment. Yeah. And we might even reach out and, and give you an opportunity to call in to further this conversation. Show enough. Info at overheartv.com. Yep. New standards. New standards. Yeah. You know, Tupac's gone. The standard. Uh, Tupac set a new standard. Uh, there were things that people would not say, mm-hmm. and even, in a, even in a rap battle. With beef. Right. Um, Tupac was the first rapper to wear a girdle. (laughs) I'm sitting here. I'm I'm in my mind. I got Larry Blackman from Cameo. I got Bobby Brown. (laughs) But you're right. They they weren't rappers. But... (laughs) <laughs> but but you know the standards, man. The, the standards is always changing through the years. You know what I'm saying? Right. And and when Master P was out, the standards were lower. So people who felt like was the, there a standard? Well, there there was a standard because you got to think like even in the Death Row era, man, that music was highly polished and and very well produced. You know. Right. It had quality production. Daz Dillinger and. And you know these producers are the shit. Dr. Dre, mm-hmm. um, well, you know Dr. Dre was messing with Death Row, but the producers on Death Row were they were they were good. And you know one producer that we did mention, and I hate we're spending so much time on producers, but at the same time they are an intricate part of the whole culture. Yeah, they set the standard for the music. Like the soundtrack don't happen without the producer. Scott, Scott Storch, he set a standard too, and you know. He definitely set a standard, but I I would 
Like for me, the Scott Storch era, um, Dre was was kind of what um, hmm. it did for New York hip hop. It was hard to imitate what Scott Storch was doing, but a lot of people tried. Absolutely, and, and they tried unsuccessfully, and I think it led to a decrease in hmm. New York's hold on hip hop. Hmm. You know, uh, Scott Storch was good at making simplistic beats that that were hits. Mm-hmm. And other people thought, you know, just like Master P. Master P was good at throwing stuff out there that, that's not so polished, but it's got <laughs> something that, that you, that you you know, you, you hear it and it's like, hey, I don't know what it is, but it's bad something bad. that, you know, yeah, the, the songs hit. Right. And the same thing with Scott Storch. And nobody can duplicate what they did, but they were so successful that people tried to duplicate it, and there was a lot of garbage that came out because of Scott Storch and Master P's productions. It was, you can't do what they do. Right. You, you definitely can't but do what they do. But when Scott Storch was the sound in New York, New York, you know, so many people try to just imitate that simplistic level of production mm-hmm. that for me it was a it was a down period. They didn't have the same cocaine. <laughs> 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 it, it was different, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, but that, that was a down period for me, though. You know, the same thing yeah. with with Master P when he did what he did. Music in the South took a terrible oh my hit. God. Every like you know. It was the, there was low quality music across the board for everybody, right? And it just you know, yeah, the standard the standards got low for a while. Yeah, but I will say that the lyrics, <clears throat> I don't think the standard for the lyrics was was too far down, but the standard for production was really low, and the DJ had been kind of taken out of the equation by now. Um, there's no more DJing in the music. By the time we get here, the standard for the DJ, all he's doing is playing his stuff in the club now. If um, it w- if it wasn't for Master P, we would never have had snap music. And I don't care who you are. I'm gonna I'm gonna no give Soldier Boy. I'm gonna give Soldier Boy all the credit snap music. for Snap Music. Soldier Boy. Nah, Soldier Boy and D4L. Before him. It was around <laughs> before Soldier. Hey man. Now, God. Master P sound wasn't snapped to me, though. You know, no, no, no. I'm not saying it was snapped. I'm oh, just you're saying, saying that, that he opened the door. Right. Right. He opened the door snap. for a soldier yes. boy and a D4L. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I feel you. I agree. Absolutely. I agree. But, you know, as those standards change, you know, what what era was Master P? What's that? Around 90s, late 90s, 2000. Yeah. Right. It's, it's all post-Tupac. Right. And when Tupac and Biggie died, man, it was a mess for a little while. It was. You know, it was. it was just a hot mess. What you got, two Mace albums you know, from New York? You still had the Woo. Yeah. What you have from the West Coast? I, I don't remember. Um, DJ Quick was still, DJ Quick. Um, yes. You know, DJ Quick was kind of holding it down for a little while there, too. Twister and, and Crucial you know, Conflict. Yeah, Dr. Dre dropped that first chronic in, what, 93? Somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. but the next one didn't come out until, like, 98. 99 yeah and that was a new standard for west coast hip-hop too because you know it, the sound it got more crisp the sound got even more crisp but <laughs> it got away from the drum sounds that we were used to hearing in west coast music mm-hmm. and it kind of reminded us more of what we had become accustomed to out of the wu-tang and all these other 
East Coast artists. Mm-hmm. So that's why the, the Chronic 2001 was so successful. Right. It meshed all those sounds together. Like no matter right. where you're from, you couldn't you couldn't hate it. Yeah. You had yeah. to love it. And then you right. had um if you don't like Snoop, you still got Daz and Corrupt spitting on here and Daz, I mean Jersey. Corrupt. Yeah, Corrupt was they both from Jersey. Yeah, solid MC. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hell yeah. So if you don't like the West Coast rap, man, and this dude <clears throat> starts spitting, it's like, oh, okay, I can palate this. Right. You know, and and yeah. so it, it it was all, yeah, new standard. New standard for what West Coast music was. Mm-hmm. And they made them rap. Yeah. And I, I and think, I think, I think they lifted the, they upped the standards from yes. what Tupac was making in his last days with Death Row. Hell yeah. You know, and that stuff was all right. But when the Chronic 2001 dropped, <laughs> hey. Right. You know? Right. I've always been a fan of Alcoholics, too. Unfortunately, I don't think their sound became a standard for the West Coast, but there were a lot of artists in that vein. Exhibit, Razzcast, mm-hmm. Alcoholics. Hieroglyphics, and when you heard them, you thought of the West Coast. Mm-hmm. You knew they were West Coast, but yeah. their sound is like they did their thing. But the music was relatable all over. You know, right. listen, right. you know. So that's another standard. They they create a standard for West Coast music. You know, I'm gonna mm-hmm. give them that whole movement. You know, the whole hieroglyphic movement and all of that was a great time period. But by the time we get post, yeah, that 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 period period of time after Tupac was brutal, man. Right. After Tupac and Biggie passed, you know, the music was rough. You know, yeah, the songs that, that that we accepted as being great just <laughs> didn't hold up, you know, didn't hold their water the same. You know what I mean? Right. And we give um, Jay-Z a lot of credit, credit um, during that time, but, you know, there was other people that was selling just as much or had just as much influence during that time as Jay-Z did. And I'm, I'm talking Nelly about... was making noise. Hell yeah. DMX was making noise. Why, why DMX we, was huge. Uh, yeah. Swiss Beats. You know, Swiss Beats, I think, you know, he was another one that, that you know, the standards weren't, you know, you could tell that the standards had dropped a little bit for production. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm not saying Swiss Beats was a bad producer. He he worked and became better. You listen to his early stuff. It was it so was it wasn't that that good. The you Dungeon know, you family, heard the man. growing pains. Now the Dungeon family, that that to me that's a standard that hasn't been duplicated. I don't think anybody could could quite get I I would say if I if I had to say that the standard set by the Dungeon Family still exists when I hear the music that Rick Ross and DJ Khaled put out, uh, UGK, hmm. um, you know that that beautiful instrumentation mm-hmm. with the you know it was it was just soulful, soulful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their productions mm-hmm. were soulful, and UGK made soulful music. Uh, and so did Southern rap so hymns, did, um, as Rick Ross C um, said, and and Khaled. <laughs> Right. The stuff they did, those productions are extremely soulful. Right. And I think that's a direct result of, of the influence. It's funny you say that about Rick Ross because I give Rick Ross so much credit for making timeless music. Yeah, Rico Rico Wade, that's the guy who's doing um, a lot of the productions for, for the Good Mob and Outkast. Hmm. You know, um, they, they made a lot of timeless music, but, you know, I don't know, like – during my era or whatever, I don't know too many artists who, and I'm talking about strictly hip hop, who made so, so much timeless music. So I, Rick I, Ross I just, made a lot of timeless music. Yeah, like 
you well, can, you know, for for what it's worth, you know, whether you love him or hate him, you know, Rick Ross been around the game for years before you even heard him. So he's right. He's seen seen this thing go from what it used to be to what it is. Right. And That's why he was so comfortable. When yeah, he, he got just, here. he's like, yeah, yeah, he was polished already. Yeah. The time he came out, he was polished. Yeah. Um, but this goes to the the standard of today. Like even in the Rick Ross era, there was still a standard for presentation that included yeah. enunciation. Hell yes. And a level of lyricism Whew. that dropped off for a while. I think the lyricism is coming back, but it's hard for some people to accept it because the enunciation and the alliteration is not, not there. there. Right. But, but you know who brought it back? Who? If there, if it was not for this guy, I don't think there would be any more New York hip hop. And I'm be, I'm being extreme by saying that, but like they said about Biggie, Duke brought the East back. Y'all better believe that. I think this dude brought the East back. J. Cole. <laughs> J. Cole brought the East back? <clears throat> Rapping. Lyric, lyrics. Enunciation. But yeah, I, I, like, as that. much as I appreciate J. Cole, where are his imitators? Like, did, did it become a movement where everybody was trying to do it? You know, I think that's that's kind of where I say, did he set a standard or is he kind of he, a standalone? He, no, he's or not a standalone. Or do you think that he's kind of responsible for Kendrick Lamar and cats like that? And the baby. Ah, I feel you. I feel you. you know, the, 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 the baby, baby is an enunciator. He never misses he's an a enunciator. Work. Right. Kendrick Lamar is an enunciator. J. Cole Big Sean. is an enunciator. Big Sean, you're right. You're right. There's a general, there's a group of artists that, that, and J. Cole that got found them. a lane after him. You're right. You're right. You know what I'm saying? You're right. Like, that, that's shout his out, greatness. Shout out to Fayetteville. What? That's his greatness. I, I think that um, when J. Cole was first signed um, to Jay-Z, I think Jay didn't want, because J., J. Cole was, in my opinion, an artist like Drake. J. Cole's a standard setter. He, yeah, he he was an he, artist like Drake, where he was harmonizing so much. But the genius of the team that was behind him when he first came, they did they didn't went, wouldn't let him focus on the harmonizing. They made him focus on the rap. Once you get the rap, then you harmonize. And Drake was the opposite, in my opinion. He harmonized first, then he got the rap. Well, his early his early tones were straight raps, though. He, I, and I'm not taking away from his rapping now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But you know, Drake, Drake, Drake was harmonizing. Yeah, he did. He, he he couldn't rap too much being under Wayne like that anyway. And you you know, I would say that you know since golly, who who did we hear first? We heard Cole first, did we? Before yeah, before Drake, right? So. Yeah, that might be one of, you know, Drake could possibly be one of his kids. <laughs> I ain't going to say that. Because <laughs> I think they got signed around the same time, yeah, you know. Yeah, And, you know. But, and if uh, you listen to Tory Lanez, you, you, you hear the Drake influence in Tory Lanez. But Tory Lanez is Tory, a whole different me, animal. They keep describing Tory Lanez as a rapper. And I my first experience with him was with his songs, his R&B songs. So I just think of him more as an R&B artist that can rap rather than a rapper that can sing. Yeah, but, that's what I think him, yeah. But um, that too rap. is a new standard that Drake set. Uh, right. I would say Lauryn Hill painted the, she painted the blueprint. 
you know, for for singer and rapper, right? You know, that can do both really well. And Drake came and just smashed it out the park. And Fifty Cent, as much as he picked on Ja Rule for doing the same thing, he helped he helped um, popularize that whole style too. He's like Ja Rule always singing, and then as soon as he got Ja Rule out the way, he was singing on everything. And you know, I was surprised, and I I was waiting for it as a fan back then. I was waiting for the Woo to diss Thorn Hill or diss the Fugees because they were so critical of the singing and rapping together. Lauren Hill was too good to this. I know. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah, there was there were no flaws in her. Nothing. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, you can like who's gonna who's gonna fix their lips to say something bad about anything Lauren Hill did during that run? Shit. Don't like, there was nothing. Time. There was nothing. Yeah. That she dropped. Right. That you could even point a finger at nothing. and say it had a flaw in it. Nothing. Like she had been around for and, twenty years, and she did, and she did the right thing. She got out of the way before she did make something that you could point the finger. <laughs> she ain't paid nobody. Lauren <laughs> Hill said, "The hell with you. I ain't paying nobody." Yeah, that was that was all that magic in the right place at the right time. Yeah. So I think that Lauren Hill's, um, you know, Lauren Hill is the predecessor to Jake uh, Drake. Hmm. And you know, you may not see the parallels, but you think about it. Rapper, singer, does both well. Right. Doesn't make bad music ever. Right. Right. Who, I mean, I mean, you yeah, might not I mean, like Drake, but you ain't going to sit here and say he makes bad music. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, the only the criticism I have of Drake is is too much singing. Right. Too much um, mood music. Well, yeah, that and, and, uh, that's, and that's a standard you know there was a standard set with Drake and it's it's hard to duplicate though that's another one yeah. of those ones where he set a certain standard and you can't just do what he did no 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 it no, don't no, work no. for everybody no hell no you know um like you said J Cole is able to harmonize yeah and i think but he's not even what Drake is he got his own no. thing and I, like i said i think it's a lot closer to what Kendrick Lamar does than what Drake does mhm mm-hmm. and um but at some point, somebody set the standard of saying, hey, man, the new standard is going to be you don't have to enunciate all your words. And Well, they need to get up out of here. <laughs> well, that, it, it they happened. They are getting and, out of here. But who set that standard? Like, who, who you know, somebody, and, and we talked about all these trends in different ways, you know, the production. And I, and I got to say, too, the, the production nowadays to me is off the charts. Mm-hmm. We're in an era right now where – Dudes are sitting down with keyboards mm-hmm. and computers and making, to me, absolute beautiful music. Mm-hmm. And some of it is being wasted on garbage. Mm-hmm. These dudes should be producing R&B hits. Mm-hmm. You know? They don't know how. I mean, but, they don't know how. But that's another thing. R&B took a hit because the standard for R&B dropped. Like, right. there used to be a standard in R&B music where you could talk about sex but you didn't say fucking or pussy. pussy right or sucking dick you hear mother, you hear people singing those words yeah that that's something that that hadn't been done before um hmm. you know i'm thinking about uh, ready for the world made a nasty song tonight mhm um vanity 6 do you think i'm a nasty girl 
they were nasty. Color Me Bad was pretty nasty. Um, I Want to Sex You Up. Right. Well, that song to come out today, but I want to fuck you in the ass. Yes. You see what I'm saying? And and that's yeah. a new standard for raunchiness. Mm-hmm. And who, like, when did this happen? Like, when did we go from masking? I like, know we when. talk, we disguise. We, I know everybody where. Everybody knows to talk about sex. Tell me, tell me. I know where. Where? I don't know exactly when, but I know where. Where? 102 Jails in Greensboro. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I still, I got to say, um, I can nearly did something when he put out, put it in your mouth. Like, we talked about the impact of that song before. Right. But let's also talk about the new standard that was set. Like, you know, of course, Luke had always been saying dirty, nasty things. Um, mm-hmm. Lick my asshole up and down. Lick it till your tongue turn doo-doo brown. You long time. That was... That was dirty and nasty, but it didn't become the standard in the industry. It was just an outlier, and if you want to hear that, you go to Luke Skywalker and you get as dirty as you want to get. Right. Same thing with um, you know, NWA. I think NWA set a standard for for absolutely violence, violence in lyrics. I say gangsterness. (laughs) But who set this standard for this level of raunchiness in in R and B? You know, of course, you had so, artists like uh, Millie Jackson back in the day. You had Blowfly spitting a whole bunch of horribly raunchy raps in the in the late seventies, early eighties. You Dota know, Mike. Yeah, yeah, he was rapping, right? But you, said, but that didn't become the standard. It wasn't right, like when, it wasn't what everybody does. Okay. But today, every song is filthy. Even a song, you know, <laughs> even a, a song that sounds like a beautiful love song is just raunchy. So, um, have you um, paid attention to what um, Kanye has been saying? I, I stopped listening. To that. Here's the thing: when somebody's mentally ill, I I don't have time hold, to hold, put too much I, into I, what they're I, saying. I, I, just, I know you. That he's, you asked the question, and you know what I'm saying. Like on, on some levels, we may get to answers to questions that you ask like that. Right. When did or who authorized this to be the standard? Yeah, when did this become the standard that things are just this raunchy? Um, I'm trying to think of, I can't even think of the first, I'm trying to think of the first R&B music that was this raunchy that set the standard for us to be. Well, I know the first rap. I mean, there's plenty of raunchy raps. But when did we start? Instead of talking about sex in code words, you know, like yeah, and, and, and we now just start, it's just out there. Yeah, I, like when do we start singing the word "fuck"? And I, I think when they said it was okay. I mean, when when did that happen? Like the standard for for what's acceptable in R and B, like. Well, I think all all the different sectors of the industry could have, it be Lil Kim. I mean, I know Lil Kim is an R and B artist. That's what, I, but, but she, but I think she said she set a new standard. Like you know, a lot of people who have tried this and gone down that road. Mm-hmm. But I think Lil Kim was successful with it on a level mm-hmm. that opened the door for today's city girls, Megan Thee Stallion. Yes, these these women are absolutely raunchy. Nicki Minaj, you know, and Megan Thee Stallion is 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 probably a role model to dozens of not dozens but you know thousands and millions of kids right now. Right. But at the end of the day, 
when you listen to what she's saying, I mean, you know, she sounds like a whore. Does she? I mean, you know, think about it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm I'm just going, I'm just, I'm, I'm speaking that not to insult Megan Thee Stallion because I really like Megan Thee Stallion. But this is Capital C with Capital J. I'm he saying just called me that when people, when people, no, I'm not, I'm not even calling her a whore because I'm, I'm thinking that it's possibly, I don't even think that she is a whore. You see what I'm saying? But the, the standard now is at the point where a girl like Megan Thee Stallion, a college student, yeah, who is out she, here rapping? She graduated now. Is is sounds like a whore off the street, right? You see what I'm saying, right? And it's okay. And it, that, like her her lyrics are just as raunchy as anything Two Live Crew did. But they, you look, it's them, worse. You know why it's worse? Why? Because it's the woman. And and I know Lil Kim started off, and I think she opened the door. But even when she did it, it wasn't the standard for all female artists to go that far. I used to be she scared was, of it. Right. Handled it like a and that was the I think I think Lil' Kim may have been the person who helped create the standard. This is Capital City with Capital J. Lil' Kim, you fucked it up for everybody. You fucked it up for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> And and you go and like you take Nicki Minaj like Nicki Minaj for all that is worth she wasn't quite as raunchy as as Lil Kim nah. and and Megan Thee Stallion the City Girls and Nicki could just rap yeah she was she was rapping and every now and then she give you a little bit but you yeah. know like you listen to some of the stuff like and um like they make Cardi B sometimes seem not so bad who <laughs> who <laughs> Cardi B is another one. We're gonna throw Man, her. She's right, what? but 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 all these. That's what I'm saying. Raunch. Like, where did this come from? The hoes, man. And everybody. Like, like I forgot who said it, but all the women wanting to be hoes. You know what? I'm gonna give Kaya some credit in this too. My neck, my back, my and yeah. My she didn't. She didn't have a million hits, but hmm. that song. I think that song. You know what? But Lil Kim on. did her thing it's years before Kaya. It's a difference between that song and your whole persona. Right. But I, I think that she was partly influential too. Like Lil Kim, Lil Kim did give the her, her whole persona is, yes. is yeah. you know that. That. Mm-hmm. And Kaya's whole persona was that. Mm-hmm. And when Lil Kim did it for the North, Kaya did it for the South. Mm-hmm. With one song, with one song, and when you hear the city girls, <clears throat> I think Trina, Trina embodied a lot of that too. But can you start saying the city girls? Why? Because you you just keep saying the city girls. I mean, I, I mean, because because they're today, you know, <laughs> no, you the, just keep saying city, the city girls, girls. <laughs> Megan Thee Stallion. I mean, you know, they made the stallion. They'll, they'll, they'll keep the saying biggest, the city girls and, and Cardi B. City girls, Say, Megan Thee Stallion, Cardi B. They're Megan the biggest stallion, female Cardi artists B. of today. Right, Asia, Asia, dog. all of them is the same shit. Right, Rennie, um, not well. Rennie Rucci, Big Lotto. Oh man, but but yeah, it's um prostitute rap. Okay, now they hold, now they prostitutes. I mean, they they tell you they sell pussy. Okay, I mean they tell you right in the song. This is capital C. <laughs> capital I mean, I'm not I'm not making this up. They okay. told you that this is what they do. I'm well, tricking. I, I I'm going know. out tonight. I want dude I, to. He better pay me for this. <laughs> Right, I, I don't know. I, I can't agree. You, with that. You're trying to tell me that you have not heard 
any of these people talk about how much they pussy costs. No, I ain't heard that. I heard them say that do do this for them or does that for them, but not. Sales, prostitute rap. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> hey, all, all I'm saying is, I if we gotta go back and look at who who set this standard. The standards change where female MC used to have dignity and class. Yeah. Um, you know, MC Light never would talk about this. No. Roxanne Shante wouldn't have talked about this. Lauren Hill wouldn't have talked about talk we this said, way about herself. We said um that we didn't know I forgot what episode it was. Um the episode Oh, when we talked to Africa. Right. We talked about the fact that nobody knew how thick the brat was. Right. Brat didn't even she had this great big 50. ass. And now and we, we know. Yo yo, biggest ass on this on the music industry. <clears throat> I seen yo yo in person. I was like, Good God. Mm. But right. she didn't flaunt that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And she would yeah. every now and then mention that she was thick. Right. Right. You know, so thick, all the guys looking. Well, but Trina. it wasn't she didn't make I think that Trina Cause Trina was straight out of the strip club. Trina was straight out of the strip club, and but she wasn't. <clears throat> and the thing is, is raunchy as it seemed at the time, they've taken it way past Trina. Yes. You know absolutely. Absolutely. But I think that Trina is the mother of a lot of these artists today. Absolutely. Um, and Trina, Kaya, Lil' Kim, they're the yeah. pioneers, and they, they helped set a new standard for female MCs being able to express their sexuality in the raunchiest way possible. Right. And so you saying that um, Kaya, Lil Kim, and Trina is responsible for all these hoes you was talking about? <laughs> all these hoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just wanted but, to make sure. <laughs> but but no, nah, seriously though, like Cardi B, she just—I mean, she's had several, even in interviews, she said she hmm. tell you, like you know, yeah, we used um, to we used to trick. Cardi B was Bill Cosby. In. You know what I'm Negroes. saying? Right, right. And she nobody tricking, said a word. No, she wanted to. She was drugging them and robbing them and shit. Right, but you can best believe she didn't drug and rob all of them. No, some of them just to... got the ass. Yeah, yes. <laughs> she so, see some of these videos out here of Cardi B early days. Man. I'm like, saying, them. I'm saying. Them. Oh my god! And and so shout out Offset. So things got <laughs> <laughs> things got things got a different kind of real. And somebody, you know, that's a new standard. And the standard used to be that a female MC just, you know, to be out here operating in a man's world. Right. Like, if you don't want to get shot in the back of a limo, then you don't <laughs> present yourself like a whore. You know what I'm saying? Me and my pinky toe. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, I, I feel kind of sorry for Megan Thee Stallion. Because no, I, I, feel like, I feel nice. like she walked into this and didn't understand the full consequence of taking on that a horse persona full time, you know what I mean. But you know what I give Meg um, credit for. I and maybe I haven't listened hard enough, but I have not heard her promoting any kind of violence. Man, let me tell you, no something. gang gang. I will say this though, Megan Thee Stallion is a real MC. Yes, and yes. No matter what yes. her contact is, right? She is a real MC, and she's one of the best to do it. Oh yeah, she she goes now. Hands down. Yes. You know, yes, and yes. I would I would give her status over a little cam even. Absolutely. As far as lyrically. The only person above her that I will put is um Nikki. 
And Nicki Minaj. And see, all these, a lot of these, I, sometimes I get the impression that Megan Thee Stallion is responsible for a lot of her own lyrics when uh, I'm not sure that Nicki Minaj and Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj. So, okay. So no. you got Nicki Minaj, no. Megan Thee Stallion. Now, Cardi B on the flip side. I think that she is one of the best. Moving right along. Uh, no, no, no. Let me let me give <laughs> let me give her a props for a second. Okay. She understands how to present raps. Yeah. She is one of the best rappers. Hmm. Female. She's one of the best female rappers I've ever heard in my life. Because you like listening to her. I like listening to her. And right. I, I don't care if Partisan Fontaine writes her raps. Right. Partisan Fontaine can't spit them better than she can. Right. She is one of the best rappers. Right. I'm not saying she's one of the best songwriters. And you if know, you write it time, and give it to Cardi B, it's going to sound better than if you give it to anybody else. Last time you said that, I had to sit on that for a while. And you, you, you're absolutely right. I would rather hear Cardi spit than Meg. Right. And then you know yeah. Megan's pen is better. Yes, but I would rather. But Cardi hear. B can rap her ass off, yo. Right. She right. is. She's just built for rapping. Yes, you ain't and, never lied. And yeah, and she knows how to enunciate at the right time, hit the words where they're supposed to be. She's right on the beat all the time. But that's just. I that. love her as a performer. But you also like the ABC song when you were a kid, right? Which one? A B C D E F G. I don't know if anyway. I ever liked that song. It's just something it, I was forced it, to sing in kindergarten. It, it, it's the same. Do you ever a, notice that A, B, and C and Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star are the same damn song? Just like Cardi twinkle, B on twinkle, anything. Twinkle, Little Star, A, B, C, Just B, like Cardi e, on anything. Nah, man. Cardi B. like that ABC Partisan flow. Fontaine and Cardi B <laughs> is a, a match made in heaven. You know? Yes. They found somebody who could say the ABC is better than anybody else. She can say her ABCs like yes. a mother. Yes. You know, she is yes. she is a great rapper. She she got it. I I'm not she disputing got it. it. She yeah, got she it. got it. She got she it. She got it. Yes. You know. Shout out Cardi. Yep. And then that's and that's always, you know, that's that's the thing about, about rappers. You got a lot of rappers who who have a great pen. Mm-hmm. But, but you sound, just don't want to hear him say it. Like yeah, the RZA, like that. the RZA writes some decent rap sometimes. But do you really want to hear the RZA rap for blue, an hour? Blue, blue, blue. You know what I mean? Nah. Do you want to hear? Um, uh, it's a lot of great rappers you just don't want to listen to for long. But you know that pen is incredible, right? And then there are a lot of dudes who don't have great pens, but you like to hear their voice, right? And Cardi right. B is one of those people that the voice and the delivery is very on point, and yeah. you know. But but this standard of raunchiness is new. And now we got to go to the next standard. When did we get to the standard of enunciation not mattering? Because there was no way, like, I think Lil Baby has a great pen. He has one, one of the best the pens of, of, of new rappers today. Right. And his enunciation isn't there. His presentation, like, you know. Yeah. But yeah. his pen is really good. And right. if you can get past... Whatever you don't like in in his delivery, mm -hmm. and get down to the meat of what he's talking about, he's pretty good. Right. Yes. So where did the standard go from having to understand everything to? When did that happen? Young Thug. Young Thug. Mumbo rap. You're right. You're right. I think yeah. Young Thug. Young Thug helped set the standard. Hell yeah. Because he, you know. Young Thug is like the James Brown in this. 
Yeah, hell you yeah. You know, he's he's yeah. the James Brown. I'm uh, glad he cut I don't, that shit. I don't like I calling it mumble rap. It was mumble rap. Yeah, I mean, he I know it, that's just yeah. a, the name of it, you know. But um, and, but and that's, that's that is what it is. The Migos too. They um, nah, the Migos don't mumble. Man, some of that early Migos stuff. Migos don't mumble. That dumb Donald stuff they was doing, man. That. They've gotten so much better than when they first I mean, but came out. Even go out. back to fight night and all that stuff. Like these are these are the early days of Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana. They enunciate. There's some like there's some enunciating dudes. You know, like the you know, for for whatever it's worth, the Migos enunciate. Okay. You know, I can't I can't give them full mumble status. Yeah. Because they you know. Yeah. You know they they they. The Migos, I like the Migos. You know that I wouldn't even put them in the standard of of mumble rap or that category. It's close, you know. I, <laughs> close. I, I think they they're loosely associated. Yes, you and know they're, like they're said, affiliated. They're, they're mumble affiliated. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they went back and recorded some of the earlier music. But and we forgot one person we talking about mumbling because I heard a song from this dude the other day that's new and I understand sh- he said. Who? Future. Oh, man. Future has... Here's the deal. I never understood what the appeal is with Future. Drugs. Is that what it is? Drug rap. Drug rap. That's that's what it was. At, At the time that Future was at his height, what was it? You know, it's it we like, might have been leaving ecstasy going into Molly. And right. that's what Man, ecstasy Molly. Molly purchased. Ain't it the set. same thing? But I don't indulge, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't tell you. Molly Percocet. That chanting of certain rap. thing. And yes. that's that's another horrible standard that came into the industry. Chanting. Um no, no, oh. no. We used to <laughs> We used to only talk about like I remember when the Beastie Boys used to talk about doing things other than drinking and smoking weed, mm-hmm. and you know they were talking about getting dusted, mm-hmm. angel dust, PCP. Right. And I remember thinking about how far out there that was, and nobody followed that lead. It didn't become a standard to talk about doing angel dust. Nobody right. was doing that but the Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. But um. When that came into hip hop, that didn't, and I think, yeah, that was with Future, Codeine, and people talking about doing hard drugs that hard. aren't weed, no weed. First person no. I saw was Shaheen. Shaheen? He had a song called Dust Juice. Dust Juice. <laughs> what? <laughs> and you see what he did? He went straight to jail. Right after it. Right. Dust Juice. Man. You know, I think we might be able we, to get Shaheen on here one day. That'd be We dope. should try. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I gave credit to Chief Keith for coming out with these videos of him and his own boy standing in the house. Shaheen did it first. I had to go back and research this. Yeah. Shaheen did it first. He did it, he did it first, but Chief Keith is another person that, that helped set a standard. Like, you know, of course, I, I'm not going to say he invented Chicago drill music. But, but damn if he did. The... The formula that you see for today's independent artists crewed up, um, keeping beef going, guns in a house, an apartment, you know. Um, Chief Keith. Chief Keith. You know, you want to know, that's, that's his lane, and he is the father of that style, and he set a new standard for 
for street music. What? And it still exists right now. Like, you know, what? Chief Keefe is a father. He's not even the biggest name in it anymore. Nah. But, you know, without Chief Keefe, you, you get no King Von. You get no Lil Dirt. He he actually is the um, still just as big. It's just that what we hear on the radio don't mention him. But right. his influence on all of this is so right. there. Set a new standard of <laughs> of like the same way that, that we were t- trying to figure out which lady set a new standard for raunchiness. Right. Chief Keith set a new standard for the amount of opening the door to the the street scene mm-hmm. visually. Mm-hmm. You know, like they you always knew that, that cats were doing these things, but you know, Chief Keith showed you what it right. looks like. Yeah. And now that's all you see. Everybody's showing you what it looks oh, like gosh. in their in their in, in their respective hoods. Right. And you didn't you, this wasn't the way to go hmm. before. And it is now. So so what do you think about and I know this is a little bit of a side, but we always sway off a little bit sometimes and shit. We two hours in now. And we're hey, gonna I let mean, this whole thing go. Yeah, this is this is I mean, we're talking about standards and then this is we can't we cannot do this type to, this topic. Right. In a, in an hour. Right. This alone we may have to do a part 1, part 2 or something and just break it down so that you don't have to, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but I mean I'm this one's just going to get released like it is. But my question is, so how what do you think about um the whole thing about not using lyrics in court cases or being able to use lyrics in court cases? I think it's okay because if like it's one thing to tell a story. Like, let's talk about um, Biggie. On the Run by Cool oh. G Rap, okay? Oh, okay, okay, um, okay. It's, he doesn't name people who everybody knows. Mm-hmm. He's telling a, a story that sounds fictitious, and there's no, like, you know, he's talking about, I'm on the run. I got it a job. Like with, I'm in a car I with got him. a job with the mob selling keys. Doing transports, deliveries, the tra- you know, I got a job with him. You know, he's telling the story, but it's not something that you could go back and research and say, hey, he really did this. Now, on the other hand, if a dude named Johnny gets shot on Fifth Street, and you be like, hey, you better ask the boy who killed Johnny on Fifth Street. I got the Glock, put it right between his eyes, and he dropped. Blood all over them white jeans. And you can go back and see that Johnny's dead on Fifth Street from a shot to the head with white jeans on. Then I think that's a little bit different than some of these theatrical raps that are fictitious situations. These are real-life situations, and everybody knows these people are involved. If you out here rapping about it, you need to shut the hell up because... I mean, this is bigger than art at this point. You know, it's an unsolved murder, and you putting you implicating yourself, and you just got to be smarter than that. I mean, like if you're silly enough to talk about an unsolved murder on a rap that mm-hmm. everybody already thinks you had something to do with, yeah, it's time for you to get off the streets because you're a fucking sociopath and a fool. Yes, like why is this even a conversation? Right. 
You know so, what I'm saying? So the standard, that's another horrible standard right there. Like, when, when did we set the standard of dry snitching on wax? When like, did we set the standard of um, protecting criminals in, in our community? Right. These are... We need these people off the street. They're making everything the bad. This is why we can't open hip-hop clubs and stuff yes. like that. This is why you can't have a show at, at middle schools and high schools anymore. Like... Absolutely. You know, because uh, as soon as it come on, it's time to purge the whole community of these these dudes. Yes. You know, we don't we don't need that hip hop. The need, ops. Right. The. F- yeah, that's not. Yeah, that's. I'm, Bro, I'm totally with you on that. Your homeboy just killed dude, and now y'all making a track about it. Right. Like like that your boy absolutely you should be admissible if 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 there's evidence that y'all were beefing. But you know what I'm saying? You said it in the tra- you told the whole only thing you gotta do is like, decode the track. Like if Biggie had died before Tupac. Right. Right. The stuff that Tupac was saying. And hit him up. Uh, just in general. He was mm-hmm. always saying the kind of like Tupac wasn't <laughs> holding his tongue about how he felt. Right. About right. Biggie. Yeah. So would it be wrong for the police to look at Tupac if Biggie gets killed in L.A. and Tupac's still alive? Hell no. I mean, you know, he told the whole world he hates this dude. Right. And, you know, he's, you know, like, so I think that, yeah, your rap should be admissible in court if you're silly enough to admit to a killing Mm -hmm. on a record. And if you get locked up because you said something on a record... That was not true. Stop fucking making that music. But I think it should only be in murder cases. I think drug That's what raps. I, mean. yes. I think drug raps should be left to their own. Like I, you know, drug raps is at this point everybody's rapping about. You know, like they'll be like going back and trying to prosecute Jay Z for being a drug dealer back in the day. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not for. Drug raps being used in court, but murder raps. You're talking about murder. Murder right. raps should right. definitely be used in court. Absolutely. Because if you got the audacity, I mean, I, I think that it should, if nothing else, it should just serve as an example of somebody needs to put the clamps down on people even speaking this disrespectfully about the dead. Right. You know, right. like somebody died. They got parents and brothers and sisters out here. You ain't doing nothing but begatting more violence. Violence begats violence, you know? But I think the... Um, it's a horrible standard to set. Yeah. Is mocking mocking people who got killed violently in the street. The like, other side of know, the coin. That's a horrible standard. That's the worst out of all these standards that have been set through the years. Right. The standard of, of mocking people who have been violently killed yes. and their family members right. is something that needs to be absolutely purged from hip-hop. But the other side of the coin, somebody might argue that, um, well, who's to make the distinction of when lyrics can be used? And it's simple. If you, if you're too close to the situation, you need to shut the hell up. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not just murder. I'm talking about drugs. I'm talking about other crimes. Well, anything. There, 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 if there's some proof in the story. Okay. If there's, if That's you're a real live too. drug dealer. Yeah. Then you don't need to be writing drug raps. If or you're a you. real life killer, then right. you don't need to write murder raps. Right. I mean that's and that's to me that's just plain old common sense. Right. You know, if you if you're a rapist, you need to stop rapping about jumping out and taking pussy. 
Nah, keep rapping about it so we know who the fuck you are. <laughs> but what you but, think about, so so why isn't, um, since we're talking about standards, when is the standard, or why haven't we seen um, the openly gay rapper um, have success? When, when you know, and, and the reason why I say what's that What's that boy is, down there in New Orleans that was in the City Girls video with the beard? I forgot his name. You're talking about Big Boy. Yeah, he's kinda kinda heavy dude. Yeah, he he's having success right now, right? Yeah, he's he's openly gay and he's got he's in a lane. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he's twerking in the video. Hmm. And I don't know how successful he'll become. Right. But I think that if this if there is a lane for this and it becomes successful later, mm-hmm. we're gonna point to him and say, say that was started. the beginning of it. What is that dude's name, man? Or Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X is openly gay and, you know, could be the beginning of something there too. You know, he could be setting a standard. But the thing is, like, it's hard to set a standard with such a small percentage of the population. I know that right. the media would like to think that everybody's gay, but really everybody's <laughs> not gay. Right. It's a small percentage of us. So for something to become standard, you know, first of all, it's going to take a larger percentage than 10% of the population. Well, 10% in our community is a large amount, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you're just talking about one out of 10 people. Yeah. And so you so you, I don't think there'll ever be a time when there's a standard for gay raps, but I think that, you know, well I guess that within within that gay community, but you got there somebody has to set the standard. You got and Lil Nas X is one, but I think your boy that's twerking down there in New Orleans is the other. You you got down your Serato? What's that? Either one, Lil Nas X or the other guy. Lil Nas X. I got about three Lil Nas X songs. I don't have the other guy at all. Oh, okay. I can't okay. remember his name. Golly. Uh, I know who you're talking about, but I yeah. can't think of his name. I remember either. watching that um that video. I was like, this is to me, this is absolutely disgusting. <laughs> and it's not pick? and it's not that I think that being gay is disgusting. Yeah. It's just that when I as a dude, when I see a booty clapping, and then the dude turned around, he got a beard. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you know what I'm saying? The same way that a gay person probably looks at a girl. Like, ew. You know, they would probably rather see a dude. Well, I'm a dude that would rather see a girl booty clapping. So that's disgusting to me. Whatever the fans want, you'll play, though. Mm, yeah, I'll play it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I DJ a gay party. I don't care. Okay. I don't care if you're gay. You know what I'm saying? I'm just not gay. You right, know, it's just right. not what I want. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't care what you do. Like, I don't sniff cocaine. But if you want to sniff cocaine, yeah. I'm not going to stop you. Right. And if you want me to play a song about sniffing cocaine, I'll play the song while you sniff your cocaine. Just keep paying me. Well, you have played the song about sniffing cocaine. but you know. Right. So, yeah. and I'm just like, I'm, I'm more against cocaine than I am. I'm more against kids getting high on narcotics mm-hmm. than I am against kids being gay. I think that drugs or drugs and guns are way more damaging to our community than gay people ever will be. So hmm. I, I how how dare I sit here and say, you know, anything about a gay rapper mm-hmm. when we got dudes out here selling violence and and drugs to teenagers. Yeah. Like that's way more damaging. Mm-hmm. You know, like, would you rather your son be a murderer, a drug addict, or gay? I mean, really? 
Mm-hmm. You know, is that a is that a hard choice? I think so. Murderer, drug addict, or gay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what I mean. Like, I, I mean, you know, for some people, they you know, you sit here and like, well, I wouldn't want him to be gay, but yeah, but then you want him to be a murderer. Do you want him to be a drug addict? Because that's what's being sold to him every day, and it's not the gay. It's not the gay rapper. That's it's not the gay rapper that's influencing your kids. Well, I think the murderer is the only one who who has a chance of dying at old age, statistically. Can you know, can you name a, a a drug addict that died of old age? No, but I, you know, gay people die of old age all the time, don't they? Uh, you know when? They died of old age. Yeah. Well, the, anybody that's old enough to die of old age, like. A lot of them weren't even out of the closet. Yeah, you talking about no somebody 70, 80 nah, years old? Not really, not really. But do you know when? <laughs> no, nah, actually, I don't. Okay. All the gay, so, a lot of gay people I know have passed away early. But, you know, I don't know if The that, weather was nice today. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I'm not, I'm not saying they died early because of I ain't said either. But, you know, I'm but, just saying. But I'm know. just saying, I think, I think there are far more more important pressing issues in our community than who's gay you know what i'm saying like that's that's not even something that you know well some would argue all of them 500 gay rappers all, came out right now you know they that, are all important in our community the, the 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 damage that they all do in our community because i and but, the reason why i say this gay rapper do damage to the community because well, can a gay rapper turn somebody who's not gay into a gay person we don't know I mean, you're you're not gay. I mean, can really like is there can can you be influenced to be something that you just not? Yeah, as a the nineties proved that. Yeah, I guess I guess you could. with gangster rap. What <sighs> what would be the difference between gangster rap and gay rap? I guess because it feels like your sexuality is something that's that's so ingrained in you that it would be hard to change it. You know, You're, like that feels like something you're born with. Demasculation. Like, have you heard of demasculation? Yeah, I have. Okay. So, like I was saying, I think right, it was yeah, 65 like you said, degrees. The weather, the weather sure was good today. <laughs> man, you know, it was hot outside today, man. It's, here it is. It's supposed to be cold outside, and it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was, you know. So, you know. And and I think it's gonna be warm. And that's called a pivot, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) All right. And and but you know, hey, back to the standards. Hey, we we went a long way, man. We talked about how the standards have changed. We started in one place. Right. And and we talked about all this to say, like, coming into this, we're saying we're not trying to say that one pivot (laughs) that one change or one standard change is necessarily the death nail and the nail in the coffin for hip hop. It all depends on your perspective. Because right. like even mumble rap, as much as a hip hop purist can say I hate mumble rap and it, for people to set a new standard where you can spit a rhyme mumbling through the whole thing is horrible. Some other people love it. And they've been waiting for the standard to go from articulation to mumble. So, so get in. I'm not saying one thing is good or bad. We're having a discussion right here. But the fact of the matter is standards change over time. Right. And whatever the standard was at one time, you can't depend on it being that forever. And you need to, if you plan on staying involved, you either need to be ready to change or ready to get out when the standard turns to something new that you're not with. Right. 
Right. You know what I'm saying? But we're going to take all the, the gay talk out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want them coming for me. <laughs> for my views. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But hey, it's something to think about. It is something to think about. And here we are where we are today. The standard in music today is I think the production standards are high. Yes. I think lyricism is Medium. decent. Yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying? We got decent standards for lyricism. Right. I think the the levels of raunchiness, um, you know, as far as class, the standard for class in hip hop is extremely low. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no class. Um, the standard for enunciation is low. Mm-hmm. Standard for grammar is low. Mm-hmm. Um, the standard for intelligence, like sounding smart. There used to be a time when, you know, as a rapper, you had to sound fairly intelligent. Uh, most rappers sounded like fairly intelligent dudes. When you think about the grand scope of the streets and what rappers are coming from, usually they're the smarter of the dudes standing out there on the corner. The guy that's rapping is usually a little bit, you know, they're usually the smarter guys. Right, right. But now that's not really the case <coughs> The standard, the standard for intelligence is really low. Right. Um, the standard for the DJ, I think, has gotten high. Like when you go to the club, um, DJs, I think their 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 performance for a DJ is pretty good right now. Hmm. But the standard for the skill level is low just because of the technology. You don't have mm. to have right great skill to perform, but the product. Hmm. is the the quality of the product is high because of the technology. So like, you, what's gone is a lot of, um, like, it's so much easier to match beats. It's easier to go back to back. Like, you know, records don't skip anymore. Right. So, you know, the standard of listening to a DJ, the, the you know, the standard's pretty high. The skill, the standard for skill is a lot lower as a result of the technology. You know? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. You know, <clears throat> you don't have to be great, but you yeah. can still put on a great show. Right, right. But back in the day, you had to be great to put on a great show. Right. Um. So, you know, the standards change, man. And for better or for worse, it is what it is. Hmm. It was a dope one. Yes, sir. So, we're going to leave it at that. Um. I'm Capital J. I was yesterday, and I will be tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> And this is DL. He was DL 20 years ago. Yeah. And he'll be DL 40 years from now. Yes, sir. Capital City Podcast. Indeed. And we out the door. Be sure to check us out on um, wherever you get your podcasts and also on overheretv.com.